So look at Apollos and me as mere servants of Christ who have been put in charge of explaining God's mysteries. Now a person who is in who is put in charge as a manager must be faithful. As for me, it matters very little how I might be evaluated by you or by any human authority. I don't even trust my own judgment on this point. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't prove I'm right. It is the Lord himself who will examine me and decide. So don't make judgments upon anyone ahead of time. Before the Lord returns, for he will bring our darkest secrets to light and will reveal our private motives. Then God will give to each one whatever praise is due. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Amen. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I was... Uh, I was a little worried we might get a little Pentecostal there. Everybody's singing their own lyrics. <laughs> oh, no, we will not. I'm still still praying for the Lord's intervention. <laughs> yes, not, not that you sell your house, but that you're unable to sell it and have to stay. <laughs> uh, y'all, welcome. Welcome. Uh, Let's pray and jump into this text of Scripture. I don't know if I can do anything this morning. Let's let's pray and jump into this text of Scripture. (laughs) Lord, we want to thank you for everything you do. We want to thank you for the, the passage of Scripture that you are presenting before us this morning. Lord, we want to thank you for your grace through the cross and through the revealing of your word. Lord, we want to thank you for for one another, for our church family here. And as we come to this text together to learn from you, we ask that you give us eyes to see and give us ears to hear. Cause our minds to understand what you have to say. And through the proclamation of your word, Lord, we ask that you conform us more to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you. We love you, we love you, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 And some of you guys are sitting over here today who usually sit it's over here. Right. <laughs> Man, my, my whole morning is... <laughs> did, did you all park in your normal spots this morning? <laughs> no, probably not. Okay, all right. <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 4, leading up to this point in the text, uh, Paul has been getting at the division of the Corinthian church. Uh, some of those in Corinth are... Paulites, and some of those in Corinth are Apollosites, and some of those in 
Corinth are Cephasites, meaning they're following the particular teachings of, of Peter, the Apostle Peter, and they're drawing divisions based on the differences between the three men and what they're following about the three men. Uh, basically, like, like the way we think about denominational lines today being drawn based on differences that don't matter that much, right? Uh, Paul has made it very clear that the gospel is the foundation upon which the church is built. The gospel is the confirmation of the church being a legitimate church, being a true church. And uh, last week we saw that the pastor of the church is the is the slave of the congregation, not the master of the congregation. And that leads us into chapter 4 here. Chapter 4, starting in verse 1, where Paul writes, Let a man regard... Us. Who is the us here Paul is referring to? Obviously, he includes himself, right? Us includes me. Uh, so if I say us, I mean me and some others. But there are others here included with Paul's us statement. Probably Sosthenes, uh, who we see in the very first verse of 1 Corinthians, co-authored this letter with Paul. Paul is the primary author, but he says, this is from me and Sosthenes. Probably from Sosthenes, because Sosthenes is a Corinthian from Corinth and a leader in the Corinthian church, formerly a leader in the Corinthian synagogue. So this letter is from Paul and Sosthenes. Um, Paul might be including the 12 apostles to the Jews here when Paul writes his us statements in the epistles. He's often referring to the 12 apostles to the Jews as well. And then leading up to this point in uh, this letter, uh, Paul has referred to all of those who who build upon the foundation which Paul has laid. So all of the other preachers or teachers to the church at Corinth since Paul left to continue his second mission trip, second missionary journey. Let a man regard us, then, is a term that refers most likely to preachers, teachers, missionaries, apostles, evangelists, those who build upon the foundation that Paul has laid in there, Paul including himself in this, as a former elder of this church and now writing a letter with some, with some elder-like authority, with the authority of the apostolic office. Let a man regard us in this manner. So coming into this passage, or the previous passage basically told us how a pastor ought to regard the church. And the pastor is a slave to the church, a servant to a servant to the church, not not lord over it, not a master over it. Uh, the pastor belongs to the church. And the pastor is to regard himself in this way, and the church is to regard a pastor in this way, and the pastor is to regard the local church. Uh, those who take it upon themselves to preach or, or teach are to regard the church as holy, like a temple of God, despite all of their imperfections, despite all of their insufficiencies. And so the pastors, the teachers, don't take a sledgehammer to God's temple, to God's church, by building upon the foundation, the gospel, with material other than the gospel. And now Paul kind of swaps. He says that's how the pastor ought to regard his congregation. Now here, here's how the congregation ought to regard the pastor. Let a man regard us in this manner. As servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries 
of God. What are the mysteries of God? Well, Paul already answered this in chapter 2. The mysteries of God are the gospel, the person and work of Jesus Christ. And here we learn that Paul and Sosthenes and the twelve apostles to the Jews and every preacher or teacher who builds on the foundation of the gospel is a steward of the mysteries of God, is a steward of the gospel. Now, in our current cultural climate, there is a really unhealthy trend. Um, And if you're not aware of it, I want to make you aware of it this morning. And this unhealthy trend, um, I'm, I'm starting to refer to it as as woke hermeneutics or social gospel hermeneutics. It's not something that's new, but it has recently taken on a new name and a, and a novel form. Uh, the form is racialization. Uh, so the church has it, has, it in their, has it in their minds. And Katie and I, we, were, we went to Barnes & Noble on, on Thursday. We, we went to Tucson. Uh, yeah, I love Barnes & Noble. <laughs> love it. <laughs> We went out to eat. We went to Barnes and Noble, and we're in Barnes and Noble looking at the at the religious book section. We saw two books that were worth reading. Uh, this big old section. Okay, um, their religious section is not that great. <laughs> But we saw this book, and that, that reflects our current culture and our current time. This is, this is what's popular now. Um, this is the popular version of the social gospel today. And the book was about how to interpret the Bible from a black perspective. Um, and sadly, that's what the woke church has, has become. Um, God, it doesn't seem to me, is black or white. In fact, the Father is is not even flesh, right? Jesus is flesh. He was he was born, but he wasn't black or white either. He was he was Jewish, <laughs> you know. He was an Israelite. So this whole idea that the woke church movement and the social gospel and and race, racialization, when when we buy into that, we we forsake the fact that that the gospel is a mystery of God, and we instead center it on ethnicity, or we center it on skin color, and in, and the pastor instead of then being a steward of the mysteries of God. You see where this is going and why it doesn't make sense in light, of, in light of Scripture? Then instead of the pastor being a steward of the mysteries of God, instead he's being a steward of racialization and make sure we, we center the gospel. And that's what the social gospel is. It appeals to uh, what matters to society instead of preaching and teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and letting the Holy Spirit do the Holy Spirit's work, instead of teaching that people must um, repent of their sin and turn to Christ and deny themselves and take up their crosses and follow Christ, instead of teaching that, all of a sudden we're teaching, no, the gospel needs to conform to you and to conform to social standards and to conform to your, to your culture. That's what the woke gospel does. That's what the social gospel does. We remove Christ and we again introduce some sort of weird religious works-based righteousness as if people must meet these certain standards and now we are making these standards 
color of skin and cultural perspective, which is actually racist. Okay? And we don't want to go there. Instead, Scripture clearly teaches us that the, the pastors and the teachers of the church are to be regarded as servants of Christ, stewards. Well, we don't own the mysteries of God. The mysteries of God don't belong to Andrew Cannon or any other pastor. We are stewards. So then it is our responsibility not to conform that to society, but instead, as servants of God, to work hard, rightly divide the word of truth, do the, do the difficult work of exegesis, learn what this means, and then present that to the congregation for the congregation's good. Red, yellow, black, and white. So we see the Scripture and just the basic instructions of Scripture are not coherent with the woke gospel or with intersectionality or with critical race theory. Those things do not fit with the basic biblical message. And the church is to regard her pastors as servants of Christ. So last week we learned that the pastor is a slave of the church. Here we learn the pastor is a slave of Christ, both and, but not in the same way. See, as, as a pastor here and as an elder here, I am interested in your good, right? Um, I, I love, absolutely love the encouragement that I receive from this congregation. Um, you, all, you all are one of the most encouraging congregations I have ever been a part of. That, that is amazing. I would even say that I need that to, to maintain a healthy spirit in order to present the Word of God joyfully, right? Uh, not, not, not having to, to tread out grain with hostility, okay? I need that. But I need you to know that I don't serve for your pleasure. I serve for the pleasure of Christ. And that's where we find the difference. I am a different kind of slave to you than I am to Christ. And so is every elder of the church. Every elder of the church is a different kind of slave to the congregation than he is to Christ. We serve the congregation for the congregation's good, which sometimes means saying some things that might hurt a little bit for the purpose of growth and sanctification. Some people don't like that and they, and they leave. Okay, I wish the best to you, but I'm here for your, for your good, not your pleasure. I am here for Christ's pleasure. That's the difference between my slavery to you, the congregation, and my slavery to Christ. And the same is true for every elder of Christ's church. And we are stewards of His message, not a human-centered message, and not a message that comes from any particular person, not a black message, or a white message, or a Calvinist message, or an Arminian message, or anything else, right? The gospel and if the gospel then leads to one of those doctrinal systems, so be it. Then it's right, but we don't use those doctrinal systems as a basis on which to preach the gospel. We use the gospel as a basis on which to build doctrinal systems. Does that make sense? We, we need to go in the correct direction, begin, in the correct, um, begin at the correct point, which is just the basic gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 3, But to me... It is a very small thing that I may be examined by you. Now, the church at Corinth, 
<laughs> oh, they're criticizing Paul, all right. Uh, they're criticizing Paul behind his back. Uh, most of them, now there are Paulites in the community, which is probably causing the non-Paulites to be a little more critical of Paul than otherwise. And they're using, using this, uh, their, their idea about who Paul is. And no, Paul can't be right on that. Apollos was right about that. Or Peter was right about that. And they're using that to like be overly critical of Paul. And here Paul says... You are holy. He has already said, you're still holy. You're still chosen by God to be his local church. In fact, to be examined by you is nothing to me. (laughs) He says that that is a very, very small thing in light of God and who God is. Why? Because you, church, congregation, you are not the arbiters of God's justice. And I am not to live up to your specific standards, right? And I don't serve your pleasure. I don't serve your preferences particularly. Paul says it's a very small thing that I may be examined by you or by any human court. Paul's familiar with the court system. Paul has been imprisoned for nothing more than preaching the gospel. And he's saying the way that you are acting, church at Corinth, the way that you are acting is is like these human courts that are imprisoning me because I preach the gospel. I'm striving to live up to God's standards, and you're condemning me for that. It's a very small thing that I should be examined by you, that I should be examined according to your standards. In fact, I do not even examine myself. Do you think it's important for us to evaluate ourselves? Huh. In fact, I do not even examine myself. Why, Paul? Why don't you examine yourself? Why aren't you evaluating yourself here? And he says, For I am conscious of nothing against myself. <laughs> um, yeah, if, if I thought I was doing something that I wasn't supposed to be doing, I, I wouldn't do it. That's, that makes sense to me. I'm conscious of nothing against myself. I can self-evaluate. Sure, I can reflect on my own life. I can, I can look at the Bible, and, and if my life doesn't match this, then I can say, oh, I need to change. Or if my doctrine doesn't match what I see written on these pages, pages I can say, oh, I, I need to change. But then I'm looking to a standard outside of myself. Do you understand? That's the Bible standard, and the Bible is actually examining me. The Word of God is examining me, and I'm changing according to that standard, not a standard in and of myself. If, and this is part of where the, the woke gospel, the social gospel comes from too, is it's, it's all about my identity. And I weigh and I measure things, including myself, according to my own identity. Y'all, that doesn't work. Why? Because we are conscious of nothing against ourselves. Uh, this is why it's important to be in an accountability relationship, right? Where people are, are, are evaluating and judging us according to the standards in Scripture, not according to their own standards, right? Paul is talking about people judging according to their own standards. No, uh, the reality is in Christian community, we do want to be judged, which is totally different from what the world teaches, right? We do want our lives to be examined, but not according to human standards, not according to the mere standards of others, but according to the standards of the text. Paul says, I I don't even examine myself because I, 
I mean, if I thought it was wrong, I wouldn't be doing it. And so me examining myself, that doesn't actually, that doesn't actually help. Paul continues, yet I am not by this acquitted. Just, just because I'm ignorant about what's wrong with me, or just because I am ignorant uh, about how I haven't yet been conformed to the image of Christ, that doesn't acquit me. Um, I'm not off the hook. I- ignorance is not bliss in this sense. But the one who examines me, says Paul, as an apostle, the one who examines me as a preacher, as an elder, as a teacher, the one who examines me is the Lord. And that's what we're, we're getting at when we say that we look to Scripture as our authority because we believe this is the Word of God. And we are examined by, by this Word. And our preachers and our and our teachers are examined by by this word, not not examined by the preferences of people, and not examined by the expectations of the congregation, because sometimes people can have unhealthy expectations, but by the expectations of of God. Don't you find it interesting? In, in today's world, I I've seen it very often. Um, before coming here, I'd have a church call me for an interview or something. And they ask question after question after question, all of which reflect preferences and expectations of people and never getting at the qualifications for a pastor or elder in Scripture. Uh, in 1 Corinthians, Paul has already given one qualification, and that is preach the gospel, <laughs> the person and work of Jesus Christ. I do not exceed the text do not exceed what is written which we're actually going to see in verse 6 uh, not next week because that will be uh, Palm Sunday yeah so that's going to be awesome and then Easter after that right resurrection Sunday and so we'll see verse 6 the Sunday after that sorry you have to wait for verse 6 right? <laughs> but in verse in verse 6 he writes do not teach you know do not exceed what is written when you are evaluating Anyone, Paul has already given one qualification that the pastor, preacher, teacher preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. The teaches about the person and work of Jesus Christ as explained in the scriptures. And Paul, in the pastoral epistles, gives more qualifications. This is in First Timothy chapter three, verses one through seven. And Paul writes to Timothy because Timothy actually has the responsibility in Ephesus to appoint elders in the church. In chapter 3, verse 1, Paul writes, It is a trustworthy statement if any man aspires to the office of overseer. Overseers as the same office as elder, pastor, bishop. It is a trustworthy statement if anyone aspires to the office of overseer. It is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be... Above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate. This means having a temper, not losing it. Okay, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious. It doesn't say you can't have wine. It says not addicted. Or pugnacious means he's not ready to fight at every word somebody says. <laughs> right? But 
gentle, peaceable, and free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church, so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. And it's funny, in my experience now, the way congregations tend to evaluate their pastors isn't usually along those lines. Usually churches evaluating their congregations is, what, what is your vision for the future? That's what we want. What is your vision for the future? And a good preacher will say, let me tell you about the work the Messiah is doing. <laughs> you know? But that's not what people want to hear. They want to hear, how are you going to make this church thrive like organizationally as a, as, a, as, a, as a non-profit corporation or something like that? Right? Well, what is your vision for the future? How will you grow this church? And usually they're talking about numerically, right? What plans do you have in place? Are, <laughs> this is one of my favorites. Are you pre-mill? <laughs> like that's a qualification to be a pastor, right? Are you pre-mill? What is your visitation policy? <laughs> are, are you, are, uh, we, we have to make sure on this. You're a Republican, right? Are <laughs> you? What? <laughs> now, Pastor. Now, Pastor. We, we need to start growing. We haven't been growing for a long time. And uh, we just want to make sure you're not going to change anything, though, to make that happen. <laughs> Are, do you like contemporary or traditional music better? Oh, there you go. How are you going to build up the diversity of this church? And those are just a few of the questions I have heard. And guess what? None of them. None of them get at the character qualifications presented in Scripture. When a church is looking for an, a new pastor or looking to affirm a, a pastor she already has, when a congregation is looking to do this and when a pastor is being evaluated in any way, doesn't it make sense that it should be according to God's preferences and not man's? That's what, that's what we're here to accomplish, right? Nothing wrong with having other preferences. But if, a, if an elder of the church meets the character qualifications presented in Scripture for elders of the church, then he will care about those things, right? He won't stampede anybody. He will, he will care about those things. And he'll work with people. But if our preferences are our idol, we're going to have very unhealthy leadership, right? So we consider God's preferences rather than our... Man, I remember sending my resume to one church and they sent me a, a questionnaire about this thick. All right? And you know how many of those questions got at the character qualifications, pastors? Yeah, maybe one or two. It's crazy. We get so caught up with ourselves and then, we, then we're like, 
that's the basis by which we criticize, condemn, judge others, right? And Paul here is bringing that to light in the church at Corinth. The one who examines me is the Lord. I serve for His for His pleasure, right? Verse 5, Therefore, and Paul makes direct application to the congregation. And so the application here belongs to the congregation, particularly those in any congregation who move too hastily onto criticism and, and judgment. Right? Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time. And it's that simple. There's not much more I can say about that. Just do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes. Now, Paul has already gotten that judgment day. And here, he, he formulates his language a little differently. Wait until the Lord comes to pass judgment upon those who are preaching and teaching. And wait until the Lord comes. The Lord comes is a statement that can refer to any time Christ comes in judgment. The Lord came, Jesus came in judgment against Sodom and Gomorrah. The Lord came in judgment against Jerusalem in A.D. 70. The Lord comes in judgment throughout history, and He will ultimately come in judgment at His second coming. And Paul says, But wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light things hidden in darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts, particularly those who preach and teach. So it is really for us, really easy for us to see someone's not meeting my preferences, someone is not meeting my expectations, and to cast judgment hastily or to say, no, I don't want anything to do with that church and leave hastily. It's really easy for us to do. That is what we do in the flesh. That's our worldly nature, our unrighteous nature, our depravity coming out and our selfish desires coming out. We cast judgment judgment too quickly and we act on those judgments and here paul says wait if the lord is going to remove someone from office he is going to disclose the man's heart and the man's motives he's going to disclose more than just this man isn't meeting your preferences he's going to show very clearly that this man isn't teaching the bible or this man no longer meets the character qualifications given in in scripture he's not living beyond reproach and this man uh, he has he has become enslaved by his desires uh, this man no longer loves the body like you once thought he did if, if christ is going to remove someone from office he will make it clear that this person needs to be removed based on based on his character not based on whether or not he meets someone's preferences or expectations. And God will do that because then the man will no longer serve the good of the congregation. The man serves as pastor long enough. I mean, uh, the, the, the compliments are great. I love those. The encouragement is great. I love those. But there will probably come a time if we're walking through Scripture like we are in the habit of doing that God's going to use me to step on your toes. <laughs> Or that God is going to use me to say something that you don't agree with. Was it last week I said something that I didn't necessarily agree with, but the Bible taught it and I had to change? Okay, so it happens to me too, right? <laughs> but some people are like, oh, 
and then they lash out and they and they trample and they criticize when God's actually working on their heart and that offense is a is a good thing. Don't rush too hastily to judgment and and, and I won't either. How about that? Right? God is the one who discloses men's hearts. And each man's praise will come to him from God. So again, I love the encouragement that I get from this congregation. But if that's why I do what I do, then I won't be very effective, right? The same is true for any pastor, teacher, elder. The same is true across the board for every Christian, right? We don't live for men's applause. That's... And then, when there is complaint in the congregation, then the pastor is free to still serve the good of the body sacrificially. Why? Because his, his praise comes from, from God. He, he does what he does to please God. And that's what we are left with in this passage. The, the pastor, elder, preacher, serves the congregation for the congregation's good. He serves Christ at the pleasure of Jesus Christ according to his preferences and his expectations. And this is what, what, Paul, what Paul says, regard us, regard, regard these holy men in this manner. As I have rarely heard the preacher, teacher of a local church or the elders in general referred to by the congregation as, as holy men. It's, it's lost on us today. But that's how Scripture describes the elders, the preachers, and teachers of the church. And I act goofy, y'all. I'm a goofy. I'm straight up, straight up goofy. Like you think, holy man, you think that's not no. Holy man just means set apart by God to do the work of of ministry. Set apart from the pursuit of money. Set apart from the pursuit of his own desires set apart from reserving too much personal time for himself, set apart for study and for prayer, set apart to be called upon for visits and to pray over people for, for healing, set apart, by, set apart by God to give up many of the pleasures this life has to offer to the degree that most people get to enjoy those for the sake of Christ's name, for the sake of Christ's ministry, a holy, sacrificial service to God. The elders of the church are holy men. And this is how the elders of the church are to be regarded. This does not mean we never cast judgment. It means we don't cast judgment before the time. And when a, when a pastor, a preacher, or a teacher clearly not living according to the character qualifications in scripture then it's the time and in a, in a plural led church which is what we are then you, you take that to the elders the other elders first and foremost and those other elders have a responsibility to pull that elder aside and say hey we have some corrections to make and if you don't make those corrections then we're going to pursue a course of church discipline and that's how we've elected to do things here at the church at Sunsites. Brothers and sisters, regard us this way. That's the only thing I can say, because that's what Paul is teaching here. Now, I'm going to say that was awkward. I don't, I sh- it feels weird presenting that message as the pastor of a church. 
But we've set such a standard here where we just walk through the text, so that's what we, that is what we do. And this applies to the body at large. And, well, first of all, that's how you regard pastors, and that's how I regard the other elders here. And secondly, just may none of us think so highly of ourselves that we rush to criticize or condemn anyone else.